This is Growth Masters. The show for CEOs, CMOs, and anyone wanting to keep up with what's new in the world of business, marketing, and tech. You're in conversation with Robert Tadros. Hello and welcome to Growth Masters. I am your host, Robert Tadros. Joining me today is Hannah Spilver, an award-winning entrepreneur who is actually the co-founder and CEO of Lovely, a fast-growth flower and gift delivery startup, which is now national, I believe, Hannah, and a multi-million dollar business. A passionate brand builder, problem solver, and innovator, Hannah has spent over 10 years in the advertising industry prior to starting her own business. Hannah has also been recognized as the Entrepreneur of the Year by B&T Women in Media Awards in 2019, Melbourne Young Entrepreneur Finalist in 2020, and the 2020 Telstra Business Women Awards winner. She's a big advocate of women in business and is dedicated to building businesses with a strong social and environmental conscience. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for the intro. How's that for an intro? <laughs> it's quite a mouthful. <laughs> um, look, I guess for our listeners that uh, aren't familiar with the brand, Lovely, I reckon we start there, right? It'd be really good for you to give us a bit of a lowdown on, on Lovely and what it's all what it's all about. Yeah, of course. So Lovely is a same-day flower and gift delivery company. We're a nation wide business. So although we're flowers and gifts, really, you know, sort of 80% of what we do is focused on flowers. We do a same day delivery service across Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide and Brizzy, um, and also a national next day delivery service. Awesome. Um, competitive space. It is. Yeah. Increasingly so. Hi- highly fragmented space. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier and you managed to grow the business to 30 million in annual revenue in, in five years. That's quite an achievement. We thank you. Yeah, we have looked that. Yeah, that's where we are today. You know, but in many ways, I guess you know we look back at the last sort of five years and we've just built the foundations really. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of looking forward as opposed to kind of looking back on what we've already achieved. A lot of learnings. Oh, heaps of learnings. <laughs> heaps of learnings. So many mistakes, right? A so lot, many a mistakes lot, a lot of along the way. We'll probably cut that out. <laughs> yeah, no, and we'll, I'm sure we'll cover a few of them. Yeah, look, more than I could talk about, but ultimately that's all part of the process, right? If you're not failing, you're not learning and you're probably not moving forward. So we're pretty um, we're pretty bullish about taking risks, embracing the failure and, and moving forward. And I think you, you can't really move into a, a space that we're in, especially in terms of logistics because you know ultimately we're a logistics business mm. at, at the at the core it's a really difficult space to navigate yeah 100 percent. and you could you, you I mean you'd arguably say you've disrupted the space right there's a lot of dinosaurs in this space that um haven't necessarily i guess innovated or have kept up with with the technology yeah well i mean obviously i would argue that we've disrupted <laughs> the space and the reason i'm saying that is my my wife uses it a lot right and even the whole same day delivery, I mean, that's still fairly new, right? It's, it's, it's been around probably a few years, right? It's only two to three years max. Yeah, look, it's pretty new in Australia. It's le- less so when you look at overseas markets. You know, coming from the UK, I was amazed at how far behind we were in Australia when mm. we launched the business. You know, I thought the same day delivery component was going to be pretty easy to execute. And boy, oh boy, was I mm. was I wrong. We <laughs> tend to be a little bit mark. behind over here in the, in the, in the um, land down under. So yeah, I think, look, you know, in the early days, we were def- definitely disruptive with our delivery proposition. Um, but I think also we came into this space wanting to disrupt the category, not just from a delivery point of view, but from a product and brand point of view. I mean, there's very few categories left in the world where there isn't a, um, 
a, a clear, lovable brand. You mm. know, most people in any, in any, certainly in terms of the consumer product space, you look at, you can talk about any category and people will have a brand that they love. Mm. It's their go-to brand that they use. You mm. look at the flower space and that just doesn't exist. There isn't a go-to. When you need flowers, you need flowers, right? You, right, the, yeah. but there's no household name dominating that space. It's really fragmented. And I think also then when you look at a, um, at a, at a product level, it's an industry which... It was sort of dominated by the order gatherers of the world who have a product range that leans towards that very sort of red rose, white, fluffy teddy bear cliche. Mm-hmm. And that was never going to be what we were about. We, we really wanted to be the antithesis of, the, of that, developing um, products, uh, flower and gift ranges that were on trend, unique, customizable, um, where we could offer personalization to customers. So we've looked to disrupt the market, I guess, at a a number of different layers, right from logistics offering through to product, through to what our brand stands for. So what, okay, so that's awesome. Actually, I was just about to ask you, uh, what's the core value proposition here? What does the brand lovely stand for? So we talk talk about this every day and I, I think and I hope it comes through in all of our customer touch points. We exist purely to make people's day, to make people's happy. That's what this brand was about. Um, And it's what the business was about, actually. Mm. So this was a brand led idea. Um, my part, my co-founder and I didn't come up with this idea to become an online florist. Yeah. We came up with this idea because we really wanted to create a truly customer-centric brand that would spread a bit of joy and happiness in the world. So that's our driver. That's our purpose. It's why we exist. And I guess, you know, underneath that, now that we found the sweet spot with our product range that enables us to do that, our ambition is to become the most loved and most used flower and gift company in Australia and then beyond. I love it. I love it. And and naturally, of course, I mean, how big is the team? The team, oh, look, it depends on the month, right? Because we have <laughs> yes, so much seasonality in our business. So there's a huge amount of flex in our workforce. So the core team's currently at about 15 people in terms of okay. you know, full-time employees. But we have a pretty huge casual and contractor workforce, which, you know, throughout the peak of COVID can be up to 200 people. Um, on the team so and there's and you know any month throughout the year can be anywhere in between those two numbers and i'm assuming that purpose is is like they live by it right it runs through their 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 blood and their dna well yeah i mean it's it's the first thing we talk about in interviews with people ultimately we we want people to buy into the brand and the vision we want Mm. people to come to work every day knowing that that's why we exist as a company and i think you know a lot of businesses, when they look at customer service and customer experience, customer service is a department, mm. right? So co- that most well, businesses have a right? department <laughs> that are dedicated to trying to make people happy when something's gone wrong. Yep. Customer service and making people happy is actually the DNA of our business, right? So we don't need to treat customer service as a department because actually it doesn't matter what your role is at Lovely. That is the business, right? That is the business, right? Our whole business is about customer service and customer experience. So it's very clear that no matter what your role is in the business, whether you're a florist, whether you're a delivery driver, whether you're picking up the phone to speak to somebody, whether you're trying to optimise our website, we're all aligned that we're all here to make the customer experience better and um, ultimately deliver happiness and do that better than anybody else in the category and market. Driving to the same goal, yeah, right? You know where point A is and we know, we know where point B is and we're all driving towards the same, the same objective. Building a team of 15 or, you know, at its peak of 200, that's not an easy task. And having them all, you know, live and breathe that vision and purpose and, 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 and brand values is not an easy thing. And I'm even you know, talking about this from, from experience. Mm. Have you struggled with it? Has it been a, uh, a challenge in the business to find the right talent to drive the business forward to get it to where it is today? 
I think in any business, it's always it's not straightforward to find really good talent. Mm. You know, if, and if especially if you're a company that's dedicated to hiring the best people, people, right? It's it's difficult to do. But I think there's two things. I think the first for us is we intentionally um, spent a lot of time thinking about the kind of culture we wanted to create in our company mm. from the get go, which looking back is probably it's quite unique for a startup you know from day one we'd already kind of started thinking about what's the culture we want to create what are the type of people we want to hire I think the tendency is that can sometimes be a bit of an afterthought Mm -hmm. but for us we defined it early on we established our company values with you know our first five employees we sat down and agreed what they should be as a team I guess we kind of crowdsourced them right Um, so I think the first thing is we never wanted to leave culture to chance uh, which I think has been a big reason why uh, people have been attracted to our business and that helps you hire great talent. But I think the second thing is when we've been hiring people, and this is something actually I sort of learned in the early days of my advertising career, I've always lent towards leaning people on attitude and aptitude Mm. as opposed to skills and experience because you can teach people skills and they'll gain experience over time. But if they haven't got the right attitude that aligns with the values of the company you're trying to build everybody's kind of wasting their time. Mm. So I think we we always have that conversation in interviews about this is the kind of company we are, these are the kind of people we want to hire, these are our values. And, yeah, we're, we're ultimately looking for a good fit with attitude and work ethic as opposed to have you got specific experience in the job we're hiring for because we're pretty confident we can give people that experience. Yeah, and I'm sure the experience is different anyway. So even if they did have the experience, I'm sure that you'll probably, when you're hiring, you'll have to thread a lot of, unthread a lot of what they've learned totally. and, and do it the lovely way, right? Totally. And when, you, when you're working in a space that's changing rapidly and you're intentionally trying to disrupt things, a lot of people's experience is either irrelevant or you want them to unlearn the current way they do things, And that right? sometimes takes longer than takes actually trying longer. to teach them the right way yeah. or the lovely way, right? So for us, yeah, you know, great work ethic. Ultimately, they need to be brilliant problem solvers. Yep. So we're always looking for people who can find a solution to a problem as opposed to finding a problem with every solution. <laughs> um, and and those kind of people are harder to come by. Yeah. Um, because most people, it's it's actually, it's sort of, it's our DNA. It's how we're hardwired, right? We, we lean away from things that are difficult and that yeah. we don't like or we don't know how to do. And actually to be a great problem solver, you need to do exactly the opposite. Yeah. And I think that's talent. That's the difference between talent and staff or employees right there's a yeah. lot of staff and a lot of employees out there but there's not a lot of talent and hence yeah. um you know it's almost like trying to find a needle in a haystack right staff employees they need direction they need to be you basically need to walk around with a whip right as bad as that sounds <laughs> um, versus you know really talented people who are ambitious have got the right attitude they know what they need to do and they want to learn yeah right? they want to learn new ways of of, of, of working do you believe, I mean, you've come from a advertising background. Yes, right? So I we have. actually, you know, we share a lot in common. How much of that do you reckon contributed to your success in a business and two as a leader? Well, look, I think a huge amount, actually. I think it's, I think it set me in good stead to, to move into starting my own business because I think that sort of creative thinking, the design mm-hmm. thinking, the fact that I was a strategy, strategy director. So my job, I, I was a problem solver by trade, right? That's yep. what I was being paid to do. So from that perspective, you know, obviously throwing myself into Lovely, I'd never solved problems like this before. But I think ultimately if you've got the right skill set and you've got the right approach and you're unafraid of trying to solve things that seem frightening that other retailers don't appear to have solved – 
then yeah, I think it gave us an advantage for sure. 100%. And how long did you spend in the advertising space? I was in the advertising space for a decade, pretty much. I started out my advertising career over in the UK, working for McCann Erickson, got a transfer over to their Sydney office to sort of, I, I guess, really lead and head up their digital offering. Um, McCann Erickson in Sydney weren't really doing anything digital yeah. or noteworthy at the time. Bit of a dinosaur at the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so my role was to kind of come over and help them build out that capability. But then I quite quickly moved across to an agency which was called Visual Jazz at the time, which later became ah, Isobar. Yeah. These yeah. were just South Melbourne, I think, here. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they still around, Iso? Isobar, yep, they Isobar. Got, oh, they got bought by... I could be wrong. Did they get bought by Dentsu? They did, yeah. yeah. They, got bought by, they got bought out by Dentsu. So, yeah, they're still around, part of a global network now. Um, yeah, awesome. But, yeah, I mean, I moved on from them six years ago now to jump into Lovely. And you're a co-founder, so you have a founder? I am, yes, and my yeah. co-founder, Verity. We actually met through Isobar. So oh, I was the strategy, strategy director. Verity was the client services director. We're working on the David Jones account together. Uh-huh. It's kind of where we cut our teeth, I guess, on, on retail. We knew a lot about digital before then, um, but DJs was our, our first big retail client um, and, yeah, loved working with them. So no doubt it taught you a lot. Yeah, it did. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we, we learned a lot about... Uh, well, yes and no, right? Because I think the learning for us was we knew a lot less than we thought because you own, you don't really understand the workings, the operational workings of a retail business. You, you can't possibly just, yeah. you know, working at an agency when you're dealing with their marketing and you're dealing with their digital. Most agencies. Most agencies. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. <laughs> no, but it's, I mean, so, you're, you're right. It's true, you know. Yeah, we, we, we didn't realise how much we still didn't know, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we've come, well, we've come a long doesn't, way. It doesn't teach you that, right? No, We're no. talking about that outside. It's, it's one of the things that we drive within this business is that entrepreneurial spirit and actually understanding business rather than marketing. Marketing, you'll get, right? We can train you, you'll understand it. You probably already come with a lot of experience anyway. But business is something that you need to learn to be able to resonate, whether it's with a retailer or another or, yeah. or, or another business. And I mentioned to you earlier, you know, one of the things that we teach our guys is actually how to read a P&L. Yeah. Right? Now, how does that reflect, I guess, back on a retail business is if you don't understand the margins and how you're actually influencing their overall operation, then all you're doing is you're just a marketer. Yeah. Right? And there's a lot more to that than just being a marketer. You know? mm. So that makes, makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, and you no doubt would have been able to put a lot of that into the real world, right, when you went and started started your own business. So two owners, one of the biggest, well, one of the questions I always ask is, uh, I've got to be very diplomatic here, right, I don't want to get into anyone into trouble. Um, have you guys got clear roles within the business? Yeah, we do, but it took us a long time to get yeah. to that point. So, uh, look, I think we actually, we, we didn't really define our roles until we were naturally kind of doing the roles suited us and yep. suited our skill set so we kind of naturally fell into I naturally fell into the CEO role Vez naturally fell into the COO role and it was a long time before we sort of put a label on that mm. right but ultimately when we put a label on it we just continued to do what we were already doing because you wear a lot of hats right? you wear a lot of hats yeah. right but I think yeah it took us a long time to figure out that it was important to clearly distinguish those roles um, especially as your team grows mm. you know I think one of the things we found as the team grew is it's kind of like well so sorry who's doing what and who do I report to on what and um, so I think that's important and look in hindsight we probably were a bit naive 
um, in our thinking that we didn't need to address that sort of yeah. stuff up front. But we just fell into it. We had a great working relationship already because we'd worked together in agency land. We knew we had different skill sets. Yeah. Neither one of us was kind of ever felt like we were competing or treading on each other's toes, right? So uh, we didn't address it for a long time. But yeah, I think now we're, we're both pretty comfortable and and feel good about our roles in the business because that's one of the biggest topics i guess i talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and actually co-founders about is staying in your lane yeah right because in business you tend to go all over the place right yeah, yeah. today i'm going to wear this hat in fact today i'm going to wear these five hats and tomorrow i'm going to wear these five hats but those five hats could be someone else's or your co-founders five hats and all of a sudden you're in their lane yeah, right? yeah. which is very disruptive and can actually you know Ultimately, you know, there's experiences there and examples of where it's killed businesses. Totally. So that's that's good that you guys have come to that conclusion because I still speak to a lot of businesses that haven't. You know? Yeah, look, I think, but it that doesn't necessarily mean, even though we know our lanes, it doesn't mean that we don't sometimes, you know, actually ask each other yeah. to kind of cross over, <laughs> right? Because I think one of the key things we've learned, and it comes back to problem solving, is it's actually really useful to get a fresh set of eyes on things. So we, we, will, we will constantly be talking to each other about the things that are ultimately, you know, I'll constantly um, get versus counsel on things that ultimately aren't her responsibility and, and vice versa. And we have a great we have a great working relationship in that way. I think yep. it's really important to do that. And, we, you know, just because you've got your own lane and you've got your own job title, it doesn't mean that you always see eye to eye. I mean, there's been heaps of occasions throughout the business where we've probably frustrated the hell out of each other and we've absolutely not seen eye to eye. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of talk around co-founders and co-founder fallouts yeah. and, you know, people who would say, oh, never, never get a co-founder. <laughs> but I think, you know, the reality is it's like any big relationship in your life. Like a co-founder relationship is a big relationship in your life. It's mm. like a relationship with your husband or wife, right? And you'd be mad if you thought that relationship was going to go without blow-ups now and again. And our relationship has been exactly like that. But I think ultimately we've got a lot of mutual respect. We've got a commitment to making it work. Yeah. So it's like any big relationship in your life, whether it's a marriage or something else, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. There's no better way. You've pretty much articulated exactly. At the end of the day, um, if you see eye to eye and it's healthy, right? You, totally. You, you want we're, we're, to We're different people. Right. And, you know, it's yeah. actually one of the reasons I truly believe it's one of the reasons our partnership has been so successful is because we do see things very differently yeah. at times. You complement um, each other's skills, right? But we also challenge, we really challenge each other sometimes. Yeah. And that's so healthy if it can be done in a respectful way. And as long as you can put ego to the side, because I think that's probably the biggest killer, is if you've got two that are, you know, very high drivers, and it's just, then it becomes ego. Yeah. Rather than an actual productive conversation, which is in the best interest of the business. Yeah, right. and I think that's the thing that's always aligned us, is how do we make this business the best it can be how do we grow this business how do we achieve our ambition of becoming a household name in this category yeah. so ultimately you can have really conflicting views and the thing the tiebreaker on that becomes okay so which one of these routes is going to get us there quickest Shit. which which one of these is going to get us to the household name which yeah. one of these is going to be better for the business and very quickly you find that kind of debate then it just you know dissolves away because there's a clear path forward correct that's awesome actually it's a really good way to put it. So what have you guys done? I guess let's, let's shift gears a little bit. I'm, I'm keen to get into the marketing space for, for, for a sec. What's your, I guess, approach to marketing? What is your go-to-marketing strategy at the moment, in, in especially in a very, very competitive space? Yeah, right? so look, it's changed so much over the years, and I guess that's just natural. As any business, um, the maturity stage of a business grows, so does, it mar so does its marketing mm. strategy. So in the early days, we relied 
really heavily on all the usual stuff, word of mouth, owned channels. We got really lucky. Um, I say we got lucky. It was intentional. We were always building a brand that was going to be disruptive and we thought would create word of mouth on its own. So, you know, we're quite a cheeky and playful brand. And when when you're branding um, all all of our flower jars, sorry, all of our flowers come in branded lovely jars, like glass jars. It's part of the customer experience and you can choose the kind of phrases you have on those jars so you can choose from have a lovely day sending lovely vibes you lovely thing you lovely fucker so <laughs> you know when I've we that one to my wife. Yeah, so so it's, it's it's not an unpopular one i have to say um gets a lot of engagement on social apart from when you're trying to um put paid media behind it and it gets banned <laughs> on facebook which is a bit annoying but um so we didn't get lucky with pr we got pr off the back of the brand that we were building right and yeah. because that was our background and expertise that was always really intentional and i think that got us a lot way a long way i think What's also worth, I guess, talking about in the space we're in is because we're in gift giving, there's always a, there's always a gift buyer, there's your customer, yeah. and, there's, and then there's the recipient. So what's a bit different about our category is for every customer you acquire, you're actually acquiring two sets of eyeballs, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So the category we're in has a sort of natural virality to it in yeah. a way that doesn't always exist in other categories. So again, because of that, we were getting um, gift recipients share content on social. And again, that sort of just really helped build momentum in the early days. So we were sort of growing at about 100% year on year um, without spending a lot on marketing for the first two years. We were bootstrapping yeah. the company. We didn't have anything to spend on marketing, right? Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, we started to see that things were softening slightly. So that's when we started investing quite heavily in search, paid search. And is that due to competitors entering the market? Or not, I shouldn't say competitors entering the market, but more trying to rip off the brand? Look, there's there's increasingly a lot of Me Too brands out there. We were the first in in the space, and since then there's a lot of sort of online floristry offering because it's a pretty low barrier to entry, entry, right? But typically what we see with that is, you know, you can get florists popping up, but they'll offer delivery to a fairly limited geographical area so from day one we always wanted to build a national brand a national distribution model so i think that and that really has set us apart yeah. there's no there's nobody else in in the space with the delivery national delivery proposition that we have so no one has been able to replicate it no it's really it's uh, well, apart from the order gatherers who, yeah, who, who yeah. don't actually touch the product or create the product yeah. or you know they're passing orders off to others we're the only independent floristry brand in our in Australia with the the geographical coverage that we have across flowers and gifts and personalization and yeah yeah, yeah. that's 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 awesome and is the the are you taking you're also you take this thing global right yes where's where, where to next well look I think and we get asked this all the time and for us um, I think we need to be really careful that we're not driven too much by ego and mm. you mentioned ego before and I think sort of there is a bit of a tendency to be too bullish from an egotistical point of view yeah. you know, I just want this to be a global brand and I want it to be a global brand now but I think um, there's still so much we've got to do in Australia over yeah. the next couple of years um, at the moment our same day delivery offering exists in four key markets mm-hmm. but we want to extend that to more geographical locations so even though we're national we can get product anywhere that same day promise we want to get that into more locations across Australia I think that's really key um, and look, we've been doing a lot of testing in terms of how far we can push 
our delivery proposition. So during COVID, so during last year when sales were just, you know, we, we, we had breakneck growth last year over a very short period of time. But mm. one of the things we wanted to be sure about was that we weren't just sitting back and taking orders. We were still kind of underpinning the business with some um, sustainable, I guess, opportunities for growth beyond COVID. Yeah. And so we went from a five-day delivery model to a seven-day delivery model. So, you know, we deliver seven days a week and we um, recently extended our order cutoff from order by 2 p.m. for same-day delivery to order by 5 p.m. for same-day delivery. So actually what we're trying to make sure is we're not just staying ahead of the competition in our space. We're trying to do things that no other retailer is doing in Australia. Um, and, and that's really kind of what we're focusing on for growth in this market at the moment, getting that right and then being able to replicate that overseas. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like Australia becomes your testing ground. Correct. Yeah. Your backyard. Yeah. You touched on COVID. How was running a business in COVID? <laughs> Wild. You can swear as much as you want. Probably Wild. Yeah, we have it was to, absolutely <laughs> like, I mean, you know, how was living life in COVID oh, while the whole thing was, look, we, like any business owner, when COVID hit, we had absolutely no idea what it, what it meant yeah. for our business. Nobody knew what it meant, right? It was unprecedented. So we were in that headspace of, is this the end? Do we need to stand down staff? We just didn't know. Mm. And, you know, as a business owner, you're trying to get your head around, you know, what does COVID safe mean? What does contactless, contactless delivery mean? And the government couldn't even tell us what COVID safe meant at this point. I don't so even think they do still know it, what well, COVID safe means. You know, <laughs> like it, it, it was a really hard thing to navigate because yeah. there were no rules. So our priority was, you know, our, our duty of care for our staff and our customers. So first and foremost, it was how do we keep our staff safe? How do we help keep our customers safe? And how do we show everybody involved in our brand and business that we're doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to do that when there's no clear guidelines on what that means. So we spent a lot of time, you know, I was literally, I was writing sort of new um, protocol and procedure documents mm-hmm. till the wee hours of every morning trying to figure out what a COVID safe um, And then you think you've got it like. and then it changes the next And then suddenly you think you've got it and then they do release guidelines <laughs> on what it means and you're like, right, okay. So we were constantly adjusting and we had to rebuild our team because although you know, really in many ways, everything we had done up until COVID in terms of building the foundation of the business and making sure it was scalable. It was all the things we'd done up until COVID that meant we could survive COVID Mm. because we'd built the foundation for scale. Of course, what was very different and what was entirely unexpected was we had to do that with a much smaller workforce Mm. than expected because we had to operate in split teams. So we immediately essentially... um, divided our operate our operating group of our business into two separate teams okay. working on rotating weeks because from our perspective the worst case scenario was if we are still allowed to operate that's great but if somebody gets covid and we have to send the entire business into isolation for two weeks or whatever that period right. needs to be the business is dead mm. so how do we create a new operating model where we've got a team a and a team b and we kind of coined them you team. split tested the team yeah we did we had team sunshine <laughs> and team blue sky uh, and it did actually create a bit of healthy competition in terms of what those that. two awesome. you know that was yeah. the sort of like happy happy upside of, of yeah. these two teams so although we had that um scalable foundation in place we still had to completely re-engineer the daily operations of our business so you've then got an entirely new way of working with two split teams who, is, who are essentially working as skeleton crews. Mm. So you've got skeleton crews in place at a time when your business was... Uh, we were experiencing 500% growth year on year. Wow. 
and at the same time then from a warehouse and kind of layout perspective to make sure that all of the social distancing guidelines were adhered to, we had to increase our footprint by threefold. Wow, so it really put the pressure on, So it really put the pressure on, right, because you're dealing with um, faster growth than you've ever experienced before. So it was all hands on deck just to get orders out of the door. You know, it didn't matter what your job role was. I was on customer service for weeks on end. Just like we literally did, everybody in the company did whatever we had to do to make it work. To make it work. Right? But yeah, the way that we had to navigate the the operations was was really pretty crazy. And of course, at the same time, we're then having to hire more staff because we mm. can't keep up with the orders and the deliveries. And so we're also hiring people. Yeah, it was it was mad. It Bloody was hell. a crazy time. So do you, are you still operating the two units? Yeah, we are. We are actually. Um, and I think it set us in, in really good stead because then whenever there's, you know, these kind of, I sort of call it lockdown whiplash, which is what we've experienced in Melbourne. It's like, you're in, you're out, you're yeah. back, you're not. Everything's good. No, it's not. You don't know till the next day. Um, means, right? So we've really now set our business up. Our, our business is COVID. Like, we're operating it in kind of a COVID normal way. So split teams are the norm. And so when Sydney has just gone into lockdown, we've already got a blueprint mm. for what that looks like and how it needs to work. Well, you, you, your business is basically pandemic-proof. And arguably anything proof, right? I mean, if well, you can get through a pandemic and you'd think, you'd think, yeah, yeah. I'd like to think that we it's set us in pretty good stead to, um, you know, ride lots of different bumps and challenges that are now going to come up. Yeah, and and I, and I think again, just you know, having spoken to a lot of mates of mine or you know peers, that COVID forced pretty much every single business to adapt. It yeah, was, it was there was no choice. It was either you do or die. So if you weren't going to adapt, you were pretty much done. Okay. Yeah. Um, and those that didn't and really did, um, I guess, struggle with the concept of shit, we actually have to adapt very, very quickly, pretty much were done, right? That was the, was the, was the end of them. The ones that really embraced it and used the opportunity to, whether it's create operational efficiency, whether it's to, to look at how they even operate as a, as a business, really succeeded and did really well out of it, right? And now it's become, that is the norm. Yeah. That's how we operate as a as a as an organisation. But I love this the split testing that you've done internally with having the two different pretty much operational teams, right? I mean that's um, that's diversifying your risk at its best, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's really what you know at the time it was just like mental acrobatics in terms of all of the different facets that we were having to consider to get through this period yeah. we were having to rethink everything we thought we knew about the business and all of the norms and you know moving from five day delivery to seven day seven delivery days. because you know our view on that was well during periods of well not even outside of lockdown people's birthdays don't stop because it's a weekend you know there aren't special occasions aren't limited to monday <laughs> to friday so if we can make I'll love our, my wife today, yeah, maybe not yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so if we can make our experience better and make our customers happier, because it comes back to that whole why do we exist mm. to make people happy and to spread joy. So if operating seven days a week is going to help us achieve that, then that's what we should seven be doing, is, right? Yeah. So at the same time, we're also pushing ourselves to um, innovate with our service offering. So there was a lot going on for us last year. As the CEO, did you ever doubt yourself? I didn't doubt myself. There were times where I absolutely, you know, had fears about what last year was going to mean yeah. for our business. Yeah. I, I feared the fact that we were facing new challenges, not just us, but the world was facing new challenges. And 
we didn't necessarily know all of the right answers up front in terms of how to do things right, do things right by our staff, do things right by our customers. It's the unknown. So it's the unknown, right? Because we, it, you're literally talking about, you know, in COVID, you're talking about health and sickness, you're talking about life and death, right? It was it was a really full-on time it's to daunting. be running a business. It was daunting. And I was heavily pregnant at the time with my second child. And it was kind of like the perfect storm of wow. all of the things. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Boy or girl? Girl, Sky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, good, she's 10 good. months now. I've got my, uh, we just found out we've got a little boy on the way. Oh, congratulations. 14 weeks in, second Awesome. Because the first one's, a, you know, wasn't enough of a terror, now I need a second terror. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> Two boys. Life's about to get tough. God help me. <laughs> I actually, um, you know, I take my hat off for anyone that had a kid during COVID. I mean, that was just, that was hard work, right? Let alone going through pregnancy and actually having a child. I don't even want to imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's the whole, it's true what they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think last year, you know, for everybody in the world, there was a lot of sort of personal resilience we yeah. all had to find. But then also at a business level, you know, we've really levelled up as a business through coming through the challenges we yeah. did. I feel like I've really levelled up as a leader um, and my co-founder would say the same as leaders in the business. You know, it forced us to level up and yeah. we're all better off because of it. Well, the business is a true reflection of its leader. And, and I truly believe that if you don't take care of yourself personally and, 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 and can be a little bit selfish sometimes, mm. um, you're, you become useless. Um, the business feels it, your peers feel it, your employees feel it, everybody feels it. So yeah. I, I actually sincerely believe that it all begins at, at a personal level first, then that then gets replicated at a personal level and uh, sorry at a business level and and, and, and so on. Because right. if you you know if you don't take care of yourself, I think you won't be able to take care of your business. Yeah, I couldn't agree and more. It's not it's not one or the other. It's important. Yeah, hundred um, percent. So all of that, and then you still managed to win Telstra Business Women Awards last year. I did. It seems like <laughs> a distant memory. It almost feels like it 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 was surreal because of course at that time. You couldn't, there wasn't even a celebration that, you know. They it, was couldn't, all, it was virtual, It was it? virtual. Yeah. Well, there wasn't even a virtual, there was no celebration. I mean, there was obviously, it was lovely to, to win the accolade and yep. they sent, um, they actually used lovely to send out beautiful oh, gifts to everybody, go. which was nice. <laughs> it was um, great that they did that. But um, yeah, it was kind of a funny thing. It feels like we weren't really able to celebrate it as a company. So yes, like I'm looking back, I'm really proud that, you know, it's a great acknowledgement to have but it, it, it sort of sort of flew doesn't under the radar. The yeah, it doesn't really feel real. Mm. Yeah. Are they gonna I mean they're gonna have it again this year? Yeah, yeah, that I mean yeah. that yeah, absolutely. Yep, they're still Telstra are still um, running the awards program so they should it's it's great and the things yep. that it does to kind of, you know, lift businesses and founders up, I think it's fantastic what they're doing. So why would why how why did you win? I'm curious. Why were you the uh, Well, the you'd, ha you'd have to ask Telstra. Um, <laughs> ask the judging panel. I mean, look, it was um, it was lovely to be nominated for the awards. And I, I'd recently come out, the, the year prior to winning the award, I'd been through um, the Springboard Accelerator Program, yep. their tech cohort. And I think one of the things that I really learned coming out of that was the importance of owning your strengths, owning your achievements, backing yourself in. Women are notoriously bad at doing that they'll apologize for all of the things they haven't done wrong and they'll talk themselves out of a job at any given opportunity yeah. so it prior to being part of springboard i mean I'd, I'd never been in any sort of award program and it was one of the people that i'd met through that um, initiative that had that had nominated me for the award and i to be honest at the time i felt 
quite embarrassed, you know, doing the whole female thing of, oh, yeah. well, I don't want to have to complete an award entry about myself and my achievements and what if I win? Will it be, uh, you know, will it look like I'm the whole tall poppy syndrome in Australia and what will people think and will I th- will they think I'm a dick if I win an award? And, mm. and I really had to get over myself a bit and go, look, I'm trying to build a business here and we are doing amazing things and if somebody's put me forward and nominated me for this award, then I should, you know... That, that's an acknowledgement and I should be grateful and, and, and kind celebrate, of and right? celebrate that. Mm. So, but look, it's a lengthy process. I think it's like 40 hours of, oh, wow. of commitment to essentially even going through the, the award process, yeah. right? Yeah. Of, filling in, of filling in the application form of being interviewed by a panel of judges. So it's not insignificant. <laughs> it's not insignificant. But I've, in the end, I was quite surprised because it was, it was a time of self-reflection. It was really mm. nice to take those 40 hours where I could grab them. <laughs> it grounds you, right? It and grounds it makes you, you. It makes you think. And because it was a very, they're very much, I mean, obviously they're about a celebration of the business, but they're also, it's also, a, they're asking a lot about you as a person mm. going right back to your education, right? So for wow. me to have that time to reflect on what was my education like? What did I want to be when I grew up? How did this all come about? Because mm. I think often we don't take that time I certainly don't. Well, we're always take that sprinting, time. right? We're always running. Yeah. I talk about this a lot. We, I mean, what are we running to? I mean, the end is death. <laughs> so, you know, I think as entrepreneurs or business owners, we really need to just sit down, take a breather, and just be in the present moment, right? Yeah. And reflect on the achievements and the celebrations, right? I don't think it's definitely not a uh, something to be embarrassed about. It is something to be very proud of. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, I totally agree with you. Whether it's, I mean, whether it's women or men. Right? There's a lot of doubt that goes through our head. Whether yeah. it's, we start to think, or oh, is it my ego? Is it should I? Am I even worthy of being up on the stage or even being nominated for this particular award? Um, and I think be proud. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, you've been nominated for, for for a reason, and really just absorb that moment and uh, and reflect on what you've been able to to, to, to achieve, because that arguably is what drives you forward. For sure. Right? Yeah. Definitely. So congrats. Well done. Thank That's you. It's awesome. Really, really Thanks. good. And the Young Entrepreneur of the Year as well. Thank you. <laughs> double. <laughs> double award that year. So where's Lovely in the next three years? What's on the, on the roadmap? You don't have to share everything. But no, sure. <laughs> but I'll, yeah, share the highlights. So for us, it's about growth, obviously, from yeah. where we are. We're looking at, I guess, two, two key initiatives. The first is very much focused on geographical expansion, but but initially within Australia, so I'm talking yep. about that same day delivery proposition, how many more markets can we get that into? Mm-hmm. Um, so that has a really important role to play in our growth, but sort of underpinning that at the same time, looking at our product range, how do we, how do we expand that and bring additional products and potentially even additional brands into the range okay. To, okay. To, to really kind of um, underpin that idea of becoming the number one destination in Australia mm-hmm. for same-day flowers and gifting. So they're kind of the two, two key things we're working on. And, yeah, look, we're sort of going hell for leather in terms of uh, the, the targets and level of um, aggressiveness we're putting around getting some of these things underway. Is data – oh, actually, sorry, I'll ask you one, one more question. Is data important in a business such as Lovely? Oh, it's everything, mm. right? It drives every decision – or it's part of every decision. That must decision. sound like a stupid question, but – I guess the reason why I'm, I'm asking is I wonder how much rich data that you have access to that it will enable you to get into some of those areas. For sure. And it's all being led by our, what our data yeah. is telling us. But also, you know, I think there there's has to be 
a layer of intuition. Yeah. Because your data's your data's telling numbers you and numbers you know what's the, story, but right? but your data's historical, right? It's yeah. not a crystal ball. That's so true. there's still got to be an element of you know, we use da- data to validate um, a lot of decisions. We yeah. use data to open our eyes to opportunity that we didn't necessarily know was waiting for us. But at the yeah. same time, you've still got to use a lot of instinct and vision to really build out the path forward. Yeah. So I'd, it's, a, it's a combination of both. But, yeah. you know, we, data in our business, we use it. doesn't matter what your role is, we're using data every day. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to wrap this up with your three top pieces of advice for a female mm-hmm. wanting to get into business. Good question. So the first one, I think it would come back to that sort of idea of backing yourself yeah. and this whole annoying theme of imposter syndrome which isn't unique to females but I do think tends to be a bit more prevalent in females Mm -hmm. I actually think imposter syndrome is a really good thing I think it's a good sign and I don't think we should be trying to get rid of it I think we should be trying to learn to live with it and lean into it because I think ultimately if you haven't got imposter syndrome you're not trying hard enough use it to your advantage yeah I mean imposter syndrome is a signal that you're growing right it's a signal that you're putting yourself into new situations leaning into things which are difficult that you need to charter right Mm. so I think that would be the first thing is you know back yourself in lean into imposter syndrome it's I I think that's a good it's a good signal that you're doing the right thing not not as something that you should shy away it's from positive, not negative. It's absolutely positive yeah. yeah i think the second thing surrounding yourself with the right people mm-hmm. so we set up and not just with your team right but with your mentors advisors peers confidants like early on in lovely we set up an incredible line of advisors we've got an advisory board that has been such an important part mm-hmm. of our success um they say you're the uh, average of your best five Friends or people that you hang around. Is that right? I love mm. that. So but have a think about that, right? Even well, listeners, right? like, yeah, as soon as you say that, I can see that that rings true with Lovely. Lovely yeah. is a reflection of, you know, absolutely not just Faz and I, but our advisory board and also, you know, the entire team. Yeah. So it's it's the sum of all of those parts. 100%. Um, and whilst Faz and I have a big role to play in leading that, you know, ultimately day to day, no, our team, our team are it. They're, they are the ones making our customers happy and yeah. getting the gifts out. And so, yeah, getting getting the right collection of people around you is absolutely imperative. Especially going back to that first point, when you're struggling with the self belief and the imposter syndrome, right. and getting those people to really kind of keep you on track. Having the right support around you. Having the right support around you yeah. is key. Yeah, and then lastly, I think for me, entrepreneurship has been a bit of a lesson on going easy on yourself at times. I'm terrible at it. Like I'm a, I'm a really high achiever. I have huge expectations of myself and I have huge expectations of people around me. It's a great driver, but can be your worst enemy. It's Yeah, yeah. So there has been times, and sort of looping back to your point on taking care of yourself, I've absolutely, throughout Lovely, there's been points in time where I haven't prioritised myself and my health enough because I am so dogged and determined at times like I'm a dog with a bone like I'll you know smash down walls to try and you know fix a challenge or get around a, a, a bump in the road to make things happen I just got such a, a level of determination which sometimes um, is to, to my own detriment so learning that there are times where you need to go easy on yourself that if something doesn't get done today but it can get done tomorrow or even next week you know maybe that's the path to choose. I think it's a very special tool. And personally, I think 
because I'm very much the same. And in recent time, in recent years, I've realised that I have this special power that can also be my worst enemy. Yeah. So it's just understanding when to pull out that tool or that particular power. Because you're right, we can be our worst enemy, right? We will run ourselves into the ground because we are dogs with a bone, right? We're going. We're not going to yeah. stop. But sometimes, you, as I said, you sort of need to sit back and go just absorb what's around you, right? And be in that present moment awareness. Yeah, it can have a negative impact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, look, I found the best way to do that for me is the kind of, you know, falling back on the mantra of, I'm doing my best and that's actually all you can do and there are times Sorry. when I get so frustrated that I can't achieve more in a day or I can't have more impact that I'm currently having. Yeah. You know, I'm only so far up Mount Everest but I just want to be at the top and yeah. I want to be there in five minutes <laughs> and so that kind of coming back to that mantra at the end of the day of like, I've done my best today and I know I'm going to do my best again tomorrow and that's okay. And, and enjoying the climb, right? Yeah, and enjoying the go, climb. Yeah, like, how did exactly. I get here? Yeah, right. instead of like falling in a heap once you're at the top, yeah. <laughs> you can't enjoy it's like, the view. Now what? I'm at the yeah. top, right? Yeah, it's so true. So okay. I look. I th- I think that's that's really important. Is to you know is to go on easy on yourself at times, and that's that's not about not working hard at mm. all. Because you ultimately to succeed, you got to work. You got to work harder than hard. Absolutely. Um, but it's about having that sort of sympathy with yourself. Yeah, self talk is um is very important. Yeah. Because it can be, again, a very, very powerful tool, but can also be a very negative tool. Absolutely. Yeah. God, I got a t- hard task market master, hard task master in my head. Yeah. So telling them to just zip it from time to time is pretty important. I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> talk to myself all the time. There's uh, Rob 1 and Rob 2, and I tell them to <laughs> shut that F up all the time. Get out of the way. <laughs> I can empathise with that a lot. Yeah. Hannah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Honestly, I really enjoyed that chat. Thanks, um, Rob. So where do we find you? You know, do we, where do you exist? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Insta? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, from a business point of view, you can check us out at lvly.com.au. You'll find us on Instagram at hello underscore lovely. Um, and personally, I'm on LinkedIn, or you can follow me on Instagram at Hannah Spilber. Awesome, Hannah. And we'll put those details in the comments. Thank you again. And yeah, I look forward to seeing what happens over the next three years with Lovely. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Hannah. <laughs>